Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Scale Up Your Business for another week. Today, I'm delighted that I have a good friend on the show, and that person is Matt Andrews. Now, we are back with the sort of mini-series within the series of Scale Up Your Business, and that is Chat with Titans. Now, these are people that I've met through social media, through influencing, all that sort of stuff, just going out there and building a personal brand. And specifically, they're the people that I've met sharing the stage on Clubhouse. They've been mods on some of the biggest stages with me. And I've talked about this a couple of times, but the value of putting yourself out there on social media is not always, you know, people liking your stuff, getting followers, uh, building an audience. It's the collaborations, the networks, the relationships that you make, you know, just by meeting other people that are in that space. Now, I met, I met Matt and we connected straight away, similar values, similar philosophy on life. And I've been wanting to have him on the show for some time because he's just a great guy to speak to. He's got so much going on, but he's humble. He's gracious. He's just really present, really, really just, you know, salt of the earth sort of guy who's making a big difference in the world. So a little bit more of a context. So Matt is an investor, a, ph a philanthropist, an entrepreneur. He says, and this is self-quoted, I'm at my best when I'm helping others be their best. He has built up his wealth and his empire through real estate. And now he focuses a lot of his time on live events, joint ventures, masterminds, and what we're going to speak about a lot today, which is collaboration and the importance of collaboration. So again, you're going to like this conversation. If you're sitting there today thinking, you know what, I need to get out there more and meet people and collaborate. I need to build my network. My, my network is my net worth. Then I can tell you, Matt Andrews is someone who's taken that concept and scaled it exponentially. So there you have it. Welcome to the show, Matt Andrews. Okay, hello everybody and welcome to another awesome episode of Scale Up Your Business. Uh, I am delighted today to have a good friend of mine, actually a recent friend, but a great friend in terms of the amount of connection we've had over the coming or the last few months, and that is Matt Andrews. Matt Andrews, welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me, Nick. Good to be here, man. Excellent. Well, we're just testing this out. So I'm always very open and honest when I sort of come onto the shows. We're playing around with a few different things today, having a bit of fun. And I thought, you know what? I know you so well that if things don't go 100% right, you're not going to get upset about it. We're just going to you know have fun. It's a learning experience for me too. I need these tools, right? So let's do it. Indeed. Well, you know what? I'm looking at the background. I'm looking at the ukulele in the background. It does say in your bio here that you play that. So we might have to get that out at some point over the conversation. Well, that, that one's a guitar, actually. I, I think I have the ukulele uh, out. I might have to run grab it in my car, but this is a guitar that my son recently stepped on and broke, my three-year-old. So uh, that one is now for show only. <laughs> awesome. Well, a little bit of context for everybody today. So so I met Matt Andrews. Uh, we're now talking probably January, so about six months ago as we record this episode. We're recording this episode in June of 2021, and so we've known each other for a few months. We met on the stage at Clubhouse. Uh I'm going to call it the early days, Matt, when, you know, we were all just kind of hanging out and. <laughs> it was the early days, man. It's just a few months ago now, but, uh, but yeah, January, 2021, uh, we met and, uh, it was a, it was like the wild, wild west on that platform then. It was, it's changed a lot now, but you know, what was really cool, right? Is we, we managed to collaborate on a few different things. We got on the stage, uh, with the joint friend, Mario Nafal, who's been on the podcast as, as well, created a thing called the round table. And, you know, there was quite a lot of connection, I think, between you and I, because, you know, the thing about Clubhouse or any type of social media platform when you have a brand is you've got to kind of manage your emotions. You've got to kind of go with the punches. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes that's the same day. And I remember you and I having sort of the back channel conversations about that experience in the early days as well. 
Yeah, putting yourself out there, you know, and and being out there and being visible, like you know, with a podcast, it opens you up to to good and bad, right? And uh, sometimes you see the the best of humanity and the worst on the same day, you know. And so uh, I, I appreciated being able to commiserate with you and back channel sometimes of with craziness that was going on in 2020 and 2021. It's been a crazy time, a lot of emotions, anyway, right? So uh, that was just a one platform where it could happen. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and, and what I often say, and the reason it's important to bring this up, you know, on on mediums like a podcast is, you know, people are looking at personal branding these days. They're looking at getting their message out there. And what I often say is you've got to stay true to your mission, even though there's going to be challenges from all different areas. And, and we certainly experienced that. Well, and I think you hit on a great point. It's if you're leading and you're living by principles, principles shouldn't change, right? Things change, uh, surroundings change, people, you know, uh, governments change, the world changes, public opinion uh, changes, but principle (laughs) principle shouldn't change, right? And so I think if you're leading through that, that's what we saw people flourish in 2020 and 2021 because they held to their principles and that's important. It is. Well, let's, um, let's let the audience know a little bit more about you. So I've got you as, well, I know you, investor, entrepreneur, philanthropist. Uh, we connected on a couple of things in that area, which we'll talk about today. Um, real estate icon, expert, <laughs> specialist, all that stuff. Um, icon. Where did that one come from? <laughs> I don't know. It just popped into my head as I was thinking about it, man. Um, you know, you've run heaps of events, uh, live events, all sorts of things, which we want to touch on today. But one of the things that really stands out to me about you, Matt, and, you know, again, having known you for a number of months now, is your ability to collaborate, to connect, uh, to build rapport at a really, really high level, a really genuine, authentic level, which, to be frank, is is quite outstanding and very, very noticeable, I think, to a lot of people. So I think one of the things we want to kind of get into today is the importance of collaboration, the power of collaboration, and certainly your story as to how it's become an important part of both, you know, your work and your life. Absolutely. Yeah. Collaboration has been everything for me, whether it's in my real estate businesses or, you know, the way we met through collaboration, uh, it's really brought everything good in my business and life. So I've leaned into that more. Uh, I, I continue to work to be more purposeful about how I connect, who I connect with. And, and then, like you said, how quickly I can push a, a key relationship up to that next level uh, to be able to really nurture and empower each other to do cool things. So it, it is a big focus for me, man. And I appreciate you asking about that. Yeah, cool. Well, let's let's um, get into your backstory a little bit, because obviously real estate has been, you know, one of the main things you've been involved in. But w- where did that all start? Because, I mean, I believe you had a bit of a corporate career to, to kick things off. And then obviously there was a transition and then you kind of came into real estate. So let us, let us know about that. Yeah, the, the quick early story on me was I actually got a degree in psychology, which I, I use today more than I ever thought I would in business. Um, just kind of understanding how the mind works. Uh, to an extent. So I got a degree in psychology, thought I was going to go into that field, ended up going into business out of college, worked for a Fortune 500 company. I told you a little bit about this. I was, um, I was, you know, on the corporate fast track, uh, early 20s, company car, expense accounts. I thought I was big stuff, you know, and, and, uh, and I was salesman of the year for that company and, and really doing, uh, you know, things at, at a fast rate. And I was enjoying it. And I thought that was the path that I was going to be on. Um, you know, fast forward just a few months. I was in, I was in that position a year or two when they basically yanked the rug out from under me, said, we're shutting down your division. We appreciate all the amazing things you've done, but all those amazing things you've done, you're going back to zero now. We'd like to move you over here and congratulations. We're starting you over. And that, that, uh, that kind of, you know, jaded me to nine to five. Uh, it basically jaded me f- to somebody else having a say in, and my livelihood and how I did that. So I found real estate. I bought a late night infomercial, Nick. So, uh, you know, late night, Carlton Sheets and Ron Legrand, two guys, you know, at the time that were selling late night infomercial products, how to flip properties in your spare time. That's how I cut my teeth and did my first deal uh, was, was watching those two guys. Funny enough, now, fast forward many years, Ron Legrand is actually in one of my masterminds. Wow. So the guy who started me in, <laughs> guy who started me in the business 20, 20 plus years ago, um, you know, with, with a set of CDs that I listened to in my truck. Um, is a, is a guy I like that. I mean, isn't that funny though? You know how those things happen. I'm starting to experience a little bit of that myself. You know, people that I may have put on, um, you know, put on a a pedestal, so to speak, you know, are now starting to come into the, the, not, not, you know, massively, but into the side parts of what I'm doing. And it's like a little bit odd, like, you know, oh, Oh, it's going to happen more and more. 
I think it's going to happen more and more, right? Because you have such a platform and such an ability to shine a spotlight on people that are doing great things like you do. I mean, that that is one of your main things, right? So I think you're probably just at the beginning of that happening to you over and over again in different ways. It's encouraging to see someone who's a a little bit ahead in terms of that stuff as well. Because like, you know, one of the things I, and this has been interesting to sort of start off with, because we had a, a very similar story. I had the corporate thing going on didn't quite work out or certainly was on the pathway to not what I wanted in life and and business and everything else had to make a change. And I remember the first set of tapes I bought was Tony Robbins stuff. And I can remember I got out my credit card and I thought, you know what, this is 200 quid or something like that. Like it was nothing. And I'm like, I don't want to spend the money. You You know, what am I spending? That's 200 pounds, right? And I had this massive scarcity mindset thing going on. If I look back, this is a few years ago now, if I look back at what I've invested in my own personal development since then, it's, well, if my wife's listening, she might be listening. It's a lot, right? But did you have the same thing? Did you, you know, when you were watching these infomercials, were you like, you know, I'd love to hear, because there's a point where you just have to jump off the cliff, right? And then once you do that, it is what it is. And I think the CDs I bought were like, you know, $40 or something like that, right? So, I mean, it wasn't very much money. So, not a ton there. But I did buy a follow-up, um, you know, like miniature coaching package, which was only like, I think it was like $1,500, right? And so, not not a lot of money when you, when you think about what coaching programs cost nowadays and kind of what's par for the course, right? But... $1,500 and I got like seven calls with a coach and quite honestly, the coach wasn't very good, but you know what it did is it, it created some accountability and, and really for me, it was me drawing a line in the sand and saying, I'm going for it. You know, like I'm going all in, I'm going to spend $1,500 when I've never spent $1,500 on education or anything like that. Um, and so, yeah, it was kind of, it was more the decision to spend the money even, even more so than what, I actually got out of the program yeah. itself. Making I, get, that I get that. I get that yeah. 100%. Because I escalated up. I went from um, those tapes to end up going to a, a UPW, Unleash the Power Within event. And yep. at that event, because again, you're in the thing, I, I got the checkbook out and, and like paid $10,000 yep. for what is called Mastery University, which is all of Tony's stuff. But you know what? I look back now and I think the return on investment of that and that decision, to use your words, was so much more in so many ways. It's like, why was I even concerned about it at the time? But again, it's good to talk about in a podcast like this because some people are listening to this right now and they're at the place that we were. And they're yeah. probably thinking, how do I get out of it? Well, you've got you've to make that decision and sometimes it's going to feel uncomfortable, but that's all part of the journey. Yeah, and a lot of times it's just making the decision and then sometimes, you know, you, you get the, the perfect book or you buy into the perfect program that gets you the perfect information at the perfect time. More often than not, you just you're the right you're in the right frame of mind at the right time to accept something and go into something, even if it's not the program that you're gonna live your life by, you know, you do something and go all in on something and it's that process. It's like when you uh I did seventy five hard, the exercise program last oh, yeah, year. Yeah, the right? Andy for thing. Yeah. And, and, I, and I did it, man. And I, man, I did the heck out of it, Nick. I mean, I got up at, you know, 4.30 every morning. I got my first work. I mean, I went all in, right? Now, I am not going to do 75 hard the rest of my life. There is no way, right? My, my body will reject that if I did that every day the rest of my life, right? But when I did that for 75 days and went all in, after that was over, I retained one or two things that I, that I did, right? So I retained waking up early, and I retained drinking a lot of water, right? So those are two things that I didn't do before that I retained there. So I think sometimes with these programs, you go all in on a Tony Robbins program. You go all in on a real estate program. That may not even be where you end up, but it's kind of just knowing, hey, you know what? I can go all in on something and I can gain a competency somewhere that I didn't have just a few months yeah. ago or whatever it is. And that's empowering. It's really well explained too, because I think a lot of times people, they they think they need to invest in these things and they have to follow the plan, you know, verbatim, right? But I, I find that, you know, again, if you, to your words, exactly, if you take a couple of things and you apply them and they work for you, right? And you, you know, you focus on the result, not necessarily the practice all the time. That's the big change. And that's part of growth. But the one thing, again, just to underline for people listening here to this part of our conversation is it's going to feel uncomfortable in the beginning. It's not going to feel normal. It's going to be difficult. But, you know, if you push yourself through that, you get this kind of ingrained confidence that then allows you to show up, you know, in all other facets with the right mindset to be able to achieve what you want to. That's it, man. You, you hit on it, right? And it's and do whatever you got to do to stay in the right headspace 
because if you're if you're in a good creative space, whether you're working as an employee or whether you're building a business or what, whatever it is, like you're going to bring better, you're, you're just going to bring a better uh, asset in yourself to that project, right? And so if that's a program, if that's a book, if that's a mastermind, if that's getting around other people, you've got to have that input. The one thing you can't do is what I tried to do, and maybe you've done it too, when I first started as an entrepreneur, I tried to do it all myself. I tried to do it all alone, you know? And so that was my first big mistake as an entrepreneur. Is I went from working on a corporate team from a, at a Fortune 500 company to the exact opposite end saying, I can do it all. My, I'm going to take this entire world and hold it right here, you know? And I can do it all. And uh, and we know you can't, right? And that's so what, it's kind of why, why do you think we do that? I mean, why do you think we do that? Because it is one of the entrepreneurial curses, let's say, or one of the things that, is, is it just that we think we have to? I think for me, it was a, it was uh, probably equal parts um, naivete, right? I was just green and I was green in business and I'm like, this is the way it's supposed to work, right? You're supposed to be able to do everything. You know, I, I've watched movies, right? Um, and then I think the other part was uh, ego and pride. You know, thinking thinking that I was supposed to be able to do everything, that I was supposed to know everything. I wasn't supposed to. Know. You're, when you're starting a business, you don't know anything, right? You're not supposed to know everything, right? You you start with some some core competencies, and then you build, and then you build a network, and then you learn, and then you build your network more, and you learn, and that's how you that's how you create a business. But I tried to do it all alone, and I was afraid to ask questions, and I think it was mostly a pride and ego thing. Yeah, for me, it was that plus trust. The idea that, you know, I, I feel like I'm taking some big risks now, realizing now probably in hindsight they weren't as big as, as I thought they were at the time. But it's like, well, I can't trust anyone to do that. If I'm now going to go and spend 20 grand on a, a website and a marketing campaign, uh, you know, that's a big, if that goes wrong, <laughs> you know, so I think it's those things too. But yeah. um, you've done, you know, a thousand plus real estate deals. What yeah. I'd love to hear is from that, you know, first couple of tapes and the 1500 quid coaching to a thousand deals. I mean, how, just give us a quick run of that journey because that's pretty transformational. Just that, that period of time there. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, so I started in like 1999, right? So turn of the century, um, I'll be able to tell my great grandchildren. So it was the turn of the century when I flipped my first house. And so 2000 to like 2003 or four. I operated almost entirely by myself. It was an interesting time. I was using Bank of America loans, you know, to fund real estate deals because you could do that. It was 2000, you know, so the world hadn't been ruined yet <laughs> for lending. And so, but I just kind of did one at a time and I was doing mostly what we call rehabs, buying, fixing up, selling, buying, fixing up, selling to owner occupants. Um, so that that was how I started. And then, um, then 2005, six, I started collaborating with other real estate investors in my town, made friends, uh, you know, with um, you know some other people that were doing a lot of transactions, and started doing deals together and kind of sizing up the deals we did. Started sizing up how many we acquired because now we kind of had a network of people we were working with. So that was the first big step was going from just a guy who was cranking out a property at a time, arguing with a construction crew, getting done, cashing a check, going and doing another one. I finally started collaborating and doing multiple deals at once. Then 2008 happened, the market crashed, and suddenly I'm getting, you know, overnight, I'm now getting 10 deals for every one I was getting before. And we literally started doing probably, um, you know, I, I ramped up from doing a couple deals a month to 10 deals a month to then 20 deals a month. And then I was selling, you know, I was selling properties to people overseas, a lot of uh, Europeans, a lot of Canadians, a lot of South Americans. Everybody that was seeing that Florida, that America, but specifically Florida, was in a crisis, and that properties that were selling for 120,000 were selling for 40 and 50,000, and it happened like that. Um, around that same time, and this is one of the biggest things, I met Ryan Dice and Perry Belcher and Roland Frazier, who taught me one simple thing at the time: just a YouTube Facebook hack to keyword optimize YouTube videos and Facebook, basically. What it meant was every time somebody searched for Tampa investment properties or Tampa wholesale properties or Tampa real estate investment or any of my cities, my videos were the first thing that popped up. So Nick, between 2009 and 2014, if you search for anything even vaguely related to real estate in my markets, I had the entire first page of Google returns. 
it was just Matt Andrews, Matt Andrews, Matt Andrews. You had to go to page two to even find one of my competitors to be able to buy properties. So I was getting deals from all over the world because of, you know, because of a marketing hack essentially, but because we also had the supply at the right time. And then I really leaned into partnerships. So I'd get an order for 10, 20 properties. I'd only have five or six on my books at the time. I would just tap my friend Lee and I'd say, hey dude, I need, I need your next 15 properties that fit this description as quickly as possible. Within a week, he'd have them for me and we'd close those deals. So I sold properties to some guys that bought 50, 60 homes at 100K a home at a time. And I had sometimes three or four profit centers on every single transaction along the way. Uh, so that allowed me to keep a lot of properties and build a rental portfolio. A lot of those are free and clear. That created a lot of freedom, which led to me to be able to get into a lot of other fun things like hanging out with you in Clubhouse. <laughs> you make it sound so effortless, right? You know, but there's, there's about four or five things you said in that like two minutes, um, there, which I'm just, I just want to make sure that, I, you know, I'm listening the whole time. I just want to make sure I've got, got the sequence in my head because I want to go into a few of these. So the, fir the first one is, right, you know, you were doing all these deals yourself and then you realized that, you know, that's not scalable and it's probably not a lot of fun. Was there a pain point there? Was there a point where you were just working like a dog and you're thinking, I need to find a different way or did it just kind of come naturally, this idea of collaborating and extending? Yeah, there was a pain point where I was working on a project where the um, construction crew was being particularly difficult because every business is a people business, right? And so I was having a hard time and I was early 20s, not, 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 you know, commanding a lot of respect, <clears throat> you know, probably 24 years old. I don't, I don't know what I was, but talking to a guy twice my age, you know, that calls me son, you know, and stuff like that. And so, um, so I was having a lot of problems managing crews, a lot of people problems. And I had a meeting right after I had this big kind of blow up with one of my construction crews. I had a lunch meeting with an investor who was further down the line than me, right? And I was telling him, man, I'm arguing with these construction crews and, and, and man, these people problems are really kind of like making the business not very fun right now. And he was like, yeah, that's why he's like, that's why I don't do any of that at all. I just move paper. That's all I do. And he basically then broke down for me how all the deals he does, he almost makes as much or more than I make on any of my deals, but he doesn't rehab any of them. He doesn't touch them. He just picks up deals and just moves them without ever seeing them, right? It's just moving paper, right? But he's taking, realized, just to be clear, he's taking margin in that movement. So yeah. it'd be the same as if I brought something, I've got consultancy businesses and all that stuff. So instead of me having to do the work, I might know about the deal and then I give it to you, Matt. Yeah. You, you go and run away and do the deal and I say, I want 20% on that. And you give me, a, as soon as the deal's done, I just get an invoice and, and money in my bank account. He, yeah, exactly. He concentrated on the supply and made money really there on the acquisition piece instead of where I made my money, which was on the fix up piece, right? I needed a guy like him to list things on the MLS so that I could buy them and make money on them, right? But there was a way that he was getting them before they ever hit the MLS or had other sources. So that opened my eyes to number one, you don't even have to see a property to make money on it. And number two, there's a whole other side of acquisition of real estate. That, that is apart from the world that I know, which at the time was just realtors and the multiple listing service. That's all I knew at the time, right? And that's when I figured it out that, okay, I can do my own lead gen. I can have motivated sellers calling me. I can put out signage. I can, I can do direct mail. I can do radio and TV advertising. I can incentivize what we call bird dogs to find me deals. But there's a whole other way to acquire properties that has nothing to do with, with what most people think of as real estate, which is realtors and the multiple listing service and kind of your typical kind of transaction. There's a whole underground of real estate. Uh, and it so, makes a lot of sense when you say it now. Yeah. But, you know, I, I always think, you know, because when you said beforehand you were buying, you know, buying um, real estate and then effectively doing out, flipping it, making money on the margin, right? Similar to what I do with businesses. But what you just said there, again, I think it's useful for everyone listening is that, you know, two things jump out. One is timing and one is being at the front of the deal flow, right? Which is going to bring us into collaboration in a second. But if you're at the front and you're getting access to really good deals first, back to my timing point, then you have leverage to be able to decide what you do with those. You could operate that deal all the way through to an end conclusion, yep. or you could pass that deal off to someone else, take a margin, but you have you have the front end taken care of, if that's the right way of expressing it. No, you got it right. And that's what was that's what's beautiful about real estate is that one property, 
you know, you could do one one commercial property, one one home, you can do so many things with, right? So we call, you know, if you just buy it and then quickly don't you don't do anything to it and quickly sell it to somebody else for a small amount of money, we call that wholesaling, right? So I just yeah, yeah. maybe I'm really, really good at finding deals that other people can't find. So there's guys out there just called wholesalers and that's all they do. And then they sell to a lot of the rehabbers, right? And the rehabbers take a property, they renovate it, they rehab it, and they bring it up to to speed and they sell it to an owner occupant, right? And then you've got other investors that are uh, buy and hold landlords, right? So I do all three. So at the at the time, especially when we were rocking 2008 to 2014, um, you know, I was wholesaling a lot of properties. The ones that had really big margins as rehabs, I would rehab those. And the super sweet ones would never even hit the market. I would put those in my portfolio, and I still have them to this day, right? I kept a lot of properties all along the way. So. But there are specialties in in that world of real estate, and it but it all has to do with supply. Maybe it's you know how to get the properties, or maybe you have access to the funds or the buyers. Um, I had I had a thing going there, especially for a while in Florida, where I had nonstop access to properties because of the marketing channels that I created, and the even more rare nonstop buyers coming to me because of some of that digital marketing that I did. So I kind of had the perfect storm in the perfect market at that time. That's why I want to go on to the second point you said, the 2009 point where you subtly mentioned that you had like ads running and things like that. So so what I want to get into here is that you created what we would now call a pretty strong or very focused personal brands around your area, geographically and probably the niche, pretty early. I mean, you know, people talk about personal branding now, you know, like everyone seems to be wanting to have a personal brand. Back in 2000, 2009, 2008, 2009, that was quite rare. Where, where did that come from? You mentioned, obviously, Roland and Perry and, and Ryan. But was, was that education again that gave you the idea of that? or it was a that little, Yeah, it was a little bit that. But at that time, too, um, the house flipping shows got to be really big. So that's when that was the era where, you know, because we 2006 and on, because there was such a boom. That's when all the flip this house and property ladder shows started and stuff. Right. So there was kind of a, an entertainment factor to people flipping houses that had attracted, especially in America, that had, had attracted a mass market. So. It was kind of natural for me as I'm walking in and out of properties all day, especially like, you know, 2008 to 2000, you know, especially 2012, you know, I was just doing nothing but walking in and out of properties all day long, you know, stopping at one of my projects, arguing with a contractor, jumping back in more properties to see what I could buy. So I just took a, at the time, not even my phone, the the, the camera phones weren't even that sophisticated then. So I. I uh, had a uh, flip cam, I think it was called a flip cam, and I just walked around houses, you know, and I just shot video. Didn't edit them, didn't hardly do anything, and I said, look, here's a property that I'm, that I'm buying for $40,000, I'm gonna put 10 grand into it, because it was only rehabbed two or three years ago, the landlord lost it, I'm gonna put 10 grand into it, I'm gonna have 50K into it, I'm gonna rent it for 850 a month. Do that, you know, do that cash flow. And I would just talk, randomly talk, but very real about, oh, here's what I'm going to change about this. Here's what I'll do here. Shaky video, not well produced, no calls to action. And I just uploaded them to YouTube. But the one thing I did was I titled them Tampa Real Estate Investment, Tampa Investment Properties, Tampa Wholesale Properties, St. Petersburg Wholesale Properties, Clearwater, Florida Rental Properties. And I just named every single video that over and over again. And so it just, at the time, Google just having bought YouTube, it basically was just your, like in two weeks, I'd be on the front page, you know, as long as it was a legit video and I pushed a few views to it um, that were real, it would, it would hit, you know, hit me up there in the rankings. And so that was just a huge piece of it was learning marketing. And then I became a marketing geek, you know, because I learned the power of this, right? But it was flip cams, you know, very authentic marketing, uploading that, um, so it kind of came from education a little bit, but that's kind of what got me into education was people started seeing the videos. They started seeing that I was I was kind of educating a little bit there. So then I got the request for mentorship or coaching. And then I wrote a couple of books that were really more like pamphlets that were like 30, 30 pages, you know, good books, but 30 pages long, you know. And um, and then I just kind of started get, getting into the publishing and coaching space a little bit from there. But it was because it worked hand in hand with the flipping business and the same marketing worked for both kinds of companies, right? Because it was me really doing business, really making money, really showing you the properties, really telling you how to do it. So to me, I could take one video 
and I could send it to a buyer that I wanted to convince that he should buy properties from me, I could take that same video and send it to a student that I was trying to convince should should hire me to help them, you know? So in a lot of ways, it was a great, just a great synergy between those businesses. And that exists to this day, which I love that. Yeah, it's, it, there's a, it's a concept um, that I was um, exposed to a while ago, which was learn, do, teach, leverage. Learn it, like which is what you did first, do it, great amount of credibility, right? Then obviously you move into other people want to know what you've done. Before we yeah. move into a bit more on the collaboration side, because you know, you've expressed a fair bit of that already today, I just want to get an understanding of the investment cycle at the very beginning of what you did, because again, this is another question yeah. that comes up. So in the beginning, you know, you've got a bit of cash, right? But you haven't got heaps of cash, right? After a while, you start to get more cash, you can deploy that capital. How did you start to get the money at the beginning of that real estate um, let's call it empire now with that many properties. Yeah. Did you have to go out there and raise investment to be able to do your first deals or did you have some, how did that work? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So I started, and I mentioned this before, I started my business doing rehabs on Bank of America conventional loans. Wow, right? just loans. <laughs> You could just get just normal, normal loan. You could get super low interest. I mean, I was paying like 4% interest or something, something crazy. This was the, the world of the, uh, you know, pre, you know, pre-crash adjustable rates were all over the place starting at 1%. And I mean, just all kinds of just crazy things, right? Um, so I started mine probably, I, I could have five conventional loans going at one time. Um, and so I usually had a couple going. I usually had a, one project going and I was kind of closing on another one. And so I was able to do that, you know, with, uh, you know, 20, 30 grand in seed capital, which I, you know, which I had put away. I was able to, to put down payments on a couple of loans, get those houses going. And then I made money, but I was still having to start and stop over and over again. Right. So fast forward just a little bit. I started bringing in private lenders to do some of those deals. And some of those private lenders, I started cutting in on the deals. Some of them, some of them I just paid a straight fee to. It just kind of depended on, on, what they, you know, what they had an appetite for, what they wanted to do. So collaborating in that way was really big, was bringing in private lenders. And then when the boom happened and I got all the property <clears throat> coming at me all at once and all the buyers, what I started doing was what, what they call, at the time they call them double closes or simultaneous closes. So I would go, and I'll try to make this, it's pretty simple. I would go lock up a property on a contract. I'll say, I'll buy this property for 50K, right? I know that I've got this buyer over here all day that wants that property for 70. He'll buy it all day long for 70 and it's a fantastic deal at 70, right? So I'll say, fantastic. I've got this property locked up. You want it for 70, bring your 70 to the closing table. I would bring the seller and that buyer, right? So the seller is party A, they're party C, I'm party B. And I would have party C fund the transaction to party A and I would keep the spread in the middle, $20,000 you know, assignment fee to me, you know? And so that's how a lot of those properties worked was with no, none of my own money using the end buyer's money to actually fund the front end. Uh, I, I was actually able to do a lot of deals like that with no money. And then those assignment fees I put into, you know, free and clear property or put into, into you know, property. Yeah. So that, that's really how it happened. And, and then, and you had to work with title companies and, and there's still different states have different laws about exactly how you have to do it. But there is a way to do those types of closes. Um, it just takes different paperwork in different places, but you got to work with a, a title attorney or a real estate lawyer that really knows their stuff. And, you know, once you've done a couple of them, then I ran, a, then I ran another thousand through that same title company. They, they had it figured out pretty well, you know? So, so but yeah, that was how we did that was the deal structure early on though. And they were mostly under a hundred thousand dollar properties for the most part. Yeah, but the, the point that you're saying here, regardless of real estate, though, is being in the flow of money, right? You know, it comes back to the point around, you know, the passing of paper. It's more than that, which I think obviously uh, brings us into this, you know, I suppose, main topic of conversation, which we have been talking about for the whole last 20 minutes or so, but is collaboration, yeah. networks, building rapport. When did you first realize, A, that, you know, that's a superpower of yours, but more importantly, that was a crucial component that you needed to be really good at as well to be able to achieve the success you have. Yeah, I think the first time I noticed that I had some you know, ability to get people on the same page was probably when I spoke just as an investor at a local real estate investment club, right? And we're talking about that's a mix of some real investors and some people that are kind of just wondering, should I get into investing? And they have these local clubs kind of all over, all over, you know, all over the world. You can go to these local investment clubs. Some are big and professional, some are small and homespun. But I started to go to some of these in my local area early on 
And when I would speak, because I was really in the business and really doing deals, I just noticed that people listened, right? And so I had, you know, I was talking about, just talking about a normal deal I was doing, but I looked out across the audience and realized when I'm talking about this normal deal and I'm talking about making $20,000 on this deal, everyone out there is looking at me like I'm doing magic tricks. Like this yeah. is unbelievable. What it's he's alchemy, doing is like, as I call it alchemy. Like you know, the, the definition being you turn nothing or, or into gold. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so I realized, okay, not only is, is what I do pretty cool <clears throat> and I shouldn't take for granted that it's a pretty cool thing that I do, which was nice, but also I have some authority here and people are listening. And so I started using that speaking more and kind of became a little bit of a community you know, leader in the world of real estate in my local area there. And then that kind of went into education and other things where I went, you know, a little broader, a little bit more national and started partnering on other things. But I think that was when I realized it, I kind of looked out and said, wow, I think people value what I'm saying. And, um, you know, it gave me a belief in myself maybe that I didn't have at the time and thought, okay, you know what? I think I do know what I'm saying. And I think I've got something of real value to offer. So I think I'm going to talk about it more. And I think I'm going to start working on getting it out more. And that, so I think it was probably those early, you know, small rooms, you know, 20, 30 people. But I realized people were nodding. I was getting the eye contact and I was connecting in some way. And then I thought, okay, you know, this, this is something that I can use for a lot of good in business and charity and a lot of things. So let's figure out how to get more people together, how to, get people on the same page. Let's figure out how to cast a vision in a very simple way that people will say, yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's, let's do that together. And that's where it started, you know? And, and then, then after that, I just feel like it's, I don't know. I just, every situation, like when I met you, I was like, wow, how can we collaborate? You know? And so we're doing this podcast now and, and we're talking about masterminds and things you're doing when you, when you come over here to the States and we're going to go to Disney world. That's a collaboration, right? We're getting our families together. October is the plan. Well, I'm booked to come over in October. So we're meeting up. But um, I never appreciated actually, you know, I said, I've known you for a few months now. I never appreciated the amount of time that you've put into this you know, to therefore, be, you know, to mastery, right? You've been doing this for a long time, man, like, you know, over 10 years. And so therefore there's a point where you were one of the early people of this stuff. So therefore the more that you've honed that skill and that's allowed you to do other things, which we'll get into in a second, that's why it comes across again, I'll use the word effortless. That's the way effortless. It comes across so natural for you because you've been doing it for so long. It's just who you are now. Yeah. And I think it gives me an energy too, because I, I think I've found that when I collaborate with people and when I hear, especially when I hear about other people's ideas that they're excited about and what they're out there doing, like when I hear you talking, you know, whether it's like this or on Clubhouse or whatever, and the things you're doing, when we had our chats about what you're going to do with, you know, some of, some of our mutual friends. And I was like, man, like I get excited about that. I literally get energy from hearing the cool things you're working on. Cause I'm like, Oh, I got to introduce Nick to this guy or, Oh, Nick, you should try this when you do that. Or, or Nick, I want to jump in and do this with you. Cause I could bring, you know, so I, I'm instantly energized by people that are doing great things. And I feel like, and I, and I've said this and I've kind of taken it on as a, as a, as a, as a mantra a little bit, you know, I feel like I'm at my best when I'm helping people on the things they love, right? I'm at my best when I'm helping others be their best or when they, when I'm championing something that they, that they are truly, uh, you know, uh, working on that they believe in, you know, uh, because then I feel like, I feel like I can exponentially help, um, when, when you've got a champion like that. So when you're working on a project, Nick, I'm like, Nick is so talented and he's got the ability to put these things together and he's got these partners. If there's any way I can make that even better, like that is exciting to me. Like it's an honor for me to be able to do it. It's exciting for me to be able to use my creative energy to do it. Right. And it's fun. <laughs> what's, that famous, part, um, right? what's that famous Zig Ziglar quote? You know the one I mean? The one where he says something oh, like, yeah. if, I help, if I help people get what they want um, in life, yeah. I'll have everything I want and need in life. Yeah. Something like that. Exactly. You'll get everything in life that you want if you help enough people get what they want. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. I mean, I remember the first time I heard that quote was actually at the Tony Robbins event I went to. Yeah. And that was the shift, interestingly, that made me start this podcast. Because I realized I had a, a contribution deficit from all the private equity stuff. Not, not really because um, I deliberately made that choice. It was because I was unaware of what that was doing. And you've, you've managed to, you know, from that collaboration, that connection, all the stuff that you've done, you've managed to then do a lot of 
you know, philanthropic things. And we connected again over the stuff that you're doing with Frank McKinney and Haiti House, but you've done a whole heap of other stuff. How does that how does that come into your world? So I, I'm curious. So you obviously created a degree of wealth and freedom for yourself. Has contribution then came or has this always been a thread in your life as well? Yeah, it's, I mean, it was a thread. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab a water here. Yeah, go for it, man. I'm doing the same here, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah got to get my water. Yeah, you know, we have done it. Charity and, and philanthropy has been a part of a lot of what we do, me and my wife, for a long time. Um, we have a heart for it. It's, it's, it's fulfilling. It puts us um, in a great collaboration with amazing people that have hearts you know, to do the same kind of thing. But it's definitely grown as more and more of a, um, I think it's grown in scope and in effectiveness when, as I've been able to bring business communities to power it, right? Whether that's raising money or whether that's using influence or whatever it is. So um, we've been involved in charities, you know, since, um, since, you know, early in our marriage and we got married in 2007. Um, but I think, you know, when business got really good, we wanted to really associate and create something or create some initiatives that we could align with our business and start to bring our business communities to them. And the first one was, um, called Job Mobility, which is still going to this day, started in 2007. That's the Jamaican wheelchair project where not a huge project, but every year, every summer, we deliver 1,100 low-cost wheelchairs to the inner cities of Jamaica. And we we usually, we didn't in 2020, we didn't physically go down, but we still got them delivered. Uh, we go down, we take, you know, 20 or 30 real estate investor friends, we assemble the wheelchairs, um, we have a blast. We connect with people. We we literally have the opportunity to to pick some people up off the ground and give them the gift of mobility and put them in a chair. Um, so what we get from it is like, <laughs> I mean, it's far beyond probably what we could ever give, right? But that that ability to be able to pull people into those things from my business world it solidifies relationships in a way that business never could. You know, so some of my best friends are people that went on some of those trips with me. And that was where we really became friends in 2008, 9, 10, 11, you know, like those are some of my best friends, you know, and some of those folks followed me to, you know, uh, India when we started some children's homes in India and Nepal. Um, and then, you know, uh, we've done some work in Haiti and are now doing more work uh, in Haiti with Frank McKinney. I'm sure when we actually go down there and, and need some hands on the work, some of those same guys will come there too. So along the way, Pulling from my business communities, I've, I've built a, a great, amazing group of friends that specifically have a heart for charity. And some of them are investors, some of them are marketers, some of them are educators, but they all come together because they, they love doing those types of things. They love raising money. They love going on the trips. So that's been a huge piece of it. But as business grows, as, as, my, as my influence grows and as my ability to reach people uh, hopefully grows, then we can do more, you know? So the stuff we're doing with Frank McKinney, putting him up on stage, you know, we raised at one of my events, uh, 150 K in an hour and we're able to, you know, fund 30 homes right there. So that kind of stuff and being able to then, you know, shine a spotlight on that and put out press releases about that to then raise more money. That's the best use of my marketing skill and my collaborative abilities. And I love it. The reason I'm laughing is I watched the video. I think it must have been the last uh, one of your, um, I think it was the family. Where, you know, he was up there dancing on stage in his, in his purple velvet coat. <laughs> <laughs> he's amazing. He's cool. Well, he's been on the podcast. We had him on. Um, well, I think you introduced him or there was a collaboration with me and him because he likes to run stupidly long distances like me. So we just connected. Yeah. I think he might have turned yeah. up into one of the rooms. And, and same with Dave Seymour. I mean, he's been on the podcast as well, and he's a great guy. He, um, I know you know him very well. He offered to give me – I've got behind me here. You can't see it, but there's my Larry Bird picture up there. And and Dave Seymour said, oh, I'm going to give you um, a, a signed autograph picture of Larry Bird, um, Kevin McHale, and Robert Parrish from the Celtics. Yeah. Again, yeah. I met them all through you, man, right? That's awesome. That's <laughs> so awesome, man. That's awesome. I love it. Isn't it. Funny, well, Dave, Seymour, Dave Seymour is such a great guy. He's a, he's a member of one of our masterminds. And I mean, he's one of those guys. And that's a great example. You know, Dave Seymour is a great example. That's a guy that I, I collaborate on 
education stuff. I collaborate on masterminds with him. I collaborate on deals. You know, he puts together these amazing apartment deals. So I love guys like Dave because they're like a collaboration, like party waiting to happen because he's got all these great things going. And that's the way I feel about you. You've got all these great things and you, I mean, you could acquire a new business tomorrow that has complete synergy with something I'm doing. And that's like your, your endless opportunity in that way, which is amazing. But Frank, you know, came through Clubhouse. That was, uh, you know, I saw him in a room. I had read some of Frank's books years ago because he's the real estate rock star, right? He looks like he was, should be he is, in, absolutely. <laughs> he looks like he should be in Guns N' Roses, yet he flips $15 million houses and crazy stuff like that, right? So, uh, so I knew of him. I pulled him up in a clubhouse room. We got to be fast friends that way. I met Forbes Riley um, in a clubhouse room too, right? Uh, Kevin Harrington I knew from before, but pulled him into a lot of stuff on clubhouse. And that those three ended up all coming out physically to that event um, that happened a little while ago where that Frank McKinney video you saw, Forbes was there too, uh, Kevin was there too. And all of that was kind of a collaboration that was built around um, you know, just mutual benefit. Like there were great things they were working on and I could shine a light on that. They could help us raise some money for the Haiti charity project. And of course, why wouldn't they want to be a part of that and help do that? So Kevin helped raise some money and donated some and Forbes did that too. But putting those kinds of things together, like that, that is what I live for. I love it. You know, and the money comes and the businesses come if you put the right collaborators together. But what comes out of that is stuff like that, like that Haiti project, which you can't put a price on it and you can't put a, um, you can't put a value on what it means in your life. It, it, it's just a, a whole different, uh, it's a whole different equation, you know, and that's, that's what collaboration brings. So two things jump out from that one. One is, um, I forget who said this to me, but I, it stuck with me. It's that, um, wealth is a spiritual pursuit measured, you know, often by the number of zeros in a bank account. But, but that point that it's spiritual is, is kind of another way of saying it's about, you know, connection, collaboration, contribution, right? You know, the more you help people exactly like the Zig Ziglar quote. And the second thing that jumps out from what you said there to me is the importance of values, right? Because everyone you mentioned and how we connected and all that, there is a similar thread, whatever those values are, we have a similar outlook on how we think about things. Yeah, because you know, I would jump on a plane and go down to Haiti and build houses. I wouldn't think twice sure. about it, right? I know you would. And yeah. there's, but you know, but that's an interesting thing, isn't it? About how those things come together. So the question I've got for you on this to sort of bring this together a little bit today, because you know we're talking about the power of collaboration, and you're the master at this, right? What are some tips for people listening to this? They're getting it, they're hearing it, they're seeing the power of it. How can people start to be more intentional about collaboration? If you know, it might not be coming naturally to them, how can they start yeah. to lean into this? Yeah. So I'm really big on very simple frameworks, right? And, and you'll appreciate that. You like very complex frameworks. So I'm a simple guy. I like very simple ones. So no, I know you like simple ones too, right? Um, so here, here's a simple framework that I use from a connection standpoint, right? And it's just three words, connect, nurture, and empower, right? In that order, right? So the connection part, you know, like you and I connected on Clubhouse, right? Clubhouse is cool because it's it speeds up the connection process, right? But if we never took it off of Clubhouse, we never would have gotten to the second stage of our relationship, which was nurturing, right? Like I think you and I probably started that on a back channel before we even had a Zoom together, but then yeah. we also had a Zoom and really I wanted to figure out what, what are you really working on? What are you excited about? You asked me the same things, right? We had that collaboration. Uh, we had a couple other friends on group Zooms that we had met on Clubhouse and brought that together too. So we had, you know, some interaction there. And then we started having, you know, deeper discussions about projects you're working on, you know, masterminds that you're starting and and how I can help there and different ways like that. So had we stopped at the Clubhouse level at just the connection, we never would have gotten all the rest of this good stuff, right? But you can't nurture and get to an empowerment phase, you know, where you're really like helping each other with every person you connect with. So you've got to have the, the framework of connect, nurture, and empower. And at that connection phase, you've got to be purpose, purposeful about, okay, where are these relationships? Who are these relationships? How can I identify them and catalog them that I want to take to that next level? Because mm -hmm. it doesn't happen by accident, right? So you and I had to get on that next call. Either you had to reach out to me or I had to reach out to you, but something had to happen there to make that happen. So be purposeful about who you connect with and then who you ascend to that next phase, which is nurturing, right? Because nurturing is where you spend the time. It's where you actually get to know each other. 
that's where you can lead with, what can I do for you? Hey, I know somebody who could, you know, this is, I always think about who do I know that I can connect Nick with, right? Or who's in my Rolodex or, or what, what do I have access to that I could give him or whatever it is. That's the nurturing phase, right? And then we get to a point of, and, and not many relationships rise truly to this level, but empowerment. Mm. And that's where we can really help each other, right? That's where we get each other. We've had a relationship for a while. We put time in to nurture that relationship. And now it's like, man, like I know what Nick's about. I know the kind of stuff he's working on. I know he's always going to take my call when I call him about something like this. Cause you know, there, there's a, a trust there. We have empowered each other. And then real empowerment is, is that person, that friend or that business partner that you can have the tough conversations with. Right. And that withstand those. And those are like when a friend comes to you and says, Matt, you should have been better. Or, you know, you could have, yeah, you could have approached yeah, it differently. Yeah. You know, when, Matt, when you've you got that, that candid level of um, respect for each other. Yeah. Cause yeah. I mean, like, you know, our mutual friends, uh, Mark Drager, right. Who um, has been yeah. helping me in clubhouse. We've got to that level. You know, we're having some very candid feedback conversations. Yeah. He's, he's good at that. He's great yeah. at that. And he's also, he's open to learning. But, but I, I use that as an example. Of course, everyone listening to us has got no idea who this guy is. Um, yeah. I'll tell you, one day you will know who he is. <laughs> he's, he's, yeah. definitely, he's definitely on the trajectory. But, um, yeah. but it's interesting. One of the things I was thinking as you were saying that, because I love the whole idea of the, you know, connect first, nurture, then empower, is, you know, that takes a bit of time. But it doesn't have to be just about time. Right. You know, right. you can accelerate through those phases. I think if there is a point where there's some alignment, maybe a deeper alignment back to my point around values, because we haven't known Absolutely. each other that long, but I reckon we've got very similar alignment of values. Same with Mark, same with other people. Yeah. But there's a point where, you know, you're right. When you get to that trust level, however you get to that trust level, that's when things can really open up. Yeah, and that's you know, where, and that's why I like, and you and I talked about this a little bit when we talked about masterminds and creating communities, because in a lot of ways that will speed up the nurturing process, right? Because mm -hmm. there has to be there has to be progress made during that during the nurturing part of it, it, it and it, it does take some time. But if you are in with a group or you're have natural synergies with somebody where you're like, man, we are like 80% already on like the same page on this or whatever. You can speed that up for sure. Right. And then if you end up having, you know, a handful of great people that you feel like you have empowered relationships with, where you can really have those, the friends that can hold the mirror up to you, you know, um, those people and, and the relationship that can withstand that and grow and strengthen because of that, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what we want. Right. And if you have a few of those in your life, um, at, at, at a given time, like, I think you're a rich, you're a rich person. I think that's, that's real wealth. So connect, nurture and empower is kind of the framework that I think about. And it's really, a lot of it is in that delineation between, okay, I'm connecting with somebody here. Now, which ones do I want to spend more time and energy on really growing to that next level? Cause you can't know everybody, right? Yeah, you can't, right, right. And you, you gotta can't be intentional. Relationship with everybody, you know, yeah, you gotta be intentional. What else makes you think you can sometimes, you know, <laughs> well, you know, um, there's a thought that comes through as well. I remember it's been two years since I launched um, Scale Up Your Business. And, and of course, it sort of coincides a little bit with everything sort of locking down and everything else like that. And I used to do a lot of work in the US. And I'll just use this as an example for people listening in. Um, but, I, you know, I know a few people in the US. I'd go over there now and then. I've got friends around the place, some people who I went to university with. They now live in New York or whatever. And I was thinking, right, I'm about to plan a trip. Um, in fact, as we record this today, we might be getting some news that things are opening up and then obviously later in the year I'm planning to come over. But I was just thinking about the list of people that I know now that I could go and see, genuinely go and have a coffee, lunch, drink, whatever with. And it's heaps, like almost yeah. like every state, but it's a lot, right? And I'm thinking that's all come from the power of the podcast medium, the connection that's been made, the time that's been put into that, the nurturing, to use your word, yeah. And all of a sudden, it's, it's, it feels almost exponential. Like it's crazy to think what's been created through, again, probably following what you just described, maybe not understanding it in the way that you've described it, but doing it and just yeah. how much that has opened things up for me personally. So it's a great yeah. example. I love the framework. I love the simplicity of it. Well, and you are, I mean, you, you consciously or unconsciously, you're putting out the, the energy that brings that back and attracts it, right? Like you're doing good things. You're creating discussions, clubhouse, your podcast, and you're having lots of meetings on lots of back channels. You're, you're putting good creative output out there. That is what attracts people to you, right? So you're going to continue to get that. And that's going to continue to come because you are, you are doing what I'm talking about 
on a conscious or subconscious level. You are connecting. It's definitely and, and, there's, and, there, and there is an element of even, even people, and this is what's interesting about podcasting and about being really good at it, like you are, about being a great interviewer. You are creating, uh, you are in a nurturing type phase with your audience. And some of those people you don't actually know. So that's a very unique relationship, right? Because I usually think of the nurturing as that's a one-on-one, you know the person, now you're spending time with them. But there is an element of podcasting and growing an audience the way you have where they do feel like they know you and they do in yeah. a lot of ways, right? So you are nurturing something on a different level there. And I, I, I find that exciting, you know, because that's a community builder and a, and a collaboration, you know, starter right there. So um, I think that's that's really cool. But connect, nurture, and empower. And then the other thing that I would say, you know, just from a real practical standpoint, I put everything through a, a quick filter on, you know, who do I collab with? What collabs do I go into? And it's real simple. It's, uh, you know, number one, does it line up with my values and does it get me closer to my goals, right? That's that's number one. That's kind of a given, right? You look at, you should be weighing any opportunity against that. Number two, um, do I value the partnership with this person? Is this somebody that I would want to be involved on a project with, even if it wasn't a money-making project, do I want to be aligned with this person? Do I value that, right? Um, so Nick Bradley is somebody I value alignment with. And so, yeah, I'm in to discuss a number of different projects as they come through, you know, as we talk about them through the years and stuff, because um, I value that partnership. Number three, um, does it help people? Does it solve a problem? Mm, yeah. You know, because at the end of the day, I'm not going to feel good about it, you know, if I if, if I don't feel like it's helping people and putting something good out there, right? Because you can sell a bunch of junk, and a lot of people do, <laughs> right? There's a lot of junk out there, right? I'm not going to feel good about that at the end of the day. So, so does it help people? Um, and then, of course, uh, is it profitable? That's nice too, right? Uh, does it make money? Does it drive revenue uh, in, 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 in doing all the rest of those things? And then the last part, and I think it's the part that a lot of entrepreneurs maybe forget, um, they get into it thinking this, but then they forget it somewhere along the line. Is it fun? Are you having a good yeah, time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? oh, like, yeah. You forget that one. And That's the are, one that normally... Like, you acquire businesses the way you talk about it and stuff and the way you are sizing up deals and creating partnerships. You are having fun. And I know it's not all sunshine and roses. And I know it's not all... It's certainly not easy because you, what you're accomplishing is not easy. But you are engaged and you're having a good time. I know you are because I see it. And that's why I want to, to interface with you. That's why I want to be on this podcast. That's why I want to work on joint ventures with you because you are having fun because you're being fulfilled. You're engaged with good people and you're doing something you are proud of. And that's a big piece of it. And if you if you don't have that piece of it, all the rest of it, if you're not enjoying doing it, um, do something else. You know, the rest of it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if it makes a bunch of money. Do something else, man. It's just, it's not going to be good that. for you're you right. or your family. I appreciate that. And you know what? And I think you're right because there's a point here. There's income and impact. There's legacy. There's fun, right? You know, just to throw some concepts out there. And and you're 100% right. You know, if you don't enjoy it, and you're right, not every day is a great day, right? Not every day is like the most amazing thing you've ever experienced in your life. But the point is it's, 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 it's kind of building towards, you know, what you want your life to be about, right? Whether that's freedom, whether that's contribution, whether that's all those sort of things. And I think a lot of people get lost a little bit, and I do sympathize with this because I was there in trying to work out what, you know, we use the word vision and then mission and all those things coming together. But understanding that and connecting with it and realizing that it's, as I said, it's not always going to be roses, but, you know, you're on that path. That's where I think you can start to appreciate and have fun. And really well articulated, Matt. I mean, really, and I love the simplicity. I think everyone listening to this is, yeah, it's partly about collaboration, but it's partly just about, you know, just being real and really understanding and, and spending the time probably understanding who you are and what you're about, which I've always felt since I've known you, you know who you are, right? It doesn't feel like there's much ambiguity there. You're really connected with yourself. And that's what comes out in the authenticity of the relationships that you then form. I appreciate that, man. I can honestly say that all the good things in my life come through people, right? They come through the relationships. So I, as I get older, I mean, I've, you know, I turned 45 this year, right? So I'm not, I don't feel like I'm old by any stretch, but I feel like I'm getting wiser in terms of relationships. I feel like every day I am valuing relationships more. Um, and every day I also realize, and I'm maybe just a little bit more cognizant of the fact that um, I've got limited amount of time with yeah. not, not just myself, but 
you know, like with my dad, I've got a limited amount of time with him one way or another, right? With my daughter, I've got a limited amount of time with her. You know, I hope it's a long time, you know, because uh, sometimes late nights, kids up in the middle of the night, it's, it feels like a long time, right? But, um, but it's finite, you know? And so every day, I think I'm just maybe a little bit more appreciative and have a little bit more gratitude for my relationships because I realized that, hey, you know, we got today, you know, we're not assured tomorrow, but one thing we're assured for sure is it's finite. We're not going to have these relationships forever, you know, because things just don't go forever. So that I'm, helps I'm with me. you on that, man. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm 47 this year and, uh, you know, I've got young kids a uh, little bit older than you, but not much, you know, nine and six sort of age. Uh, and I'm the same. I, I, I notice things. And I think it, everyone gets to this sort of age and they start to appreciate things in a different way. Like, you know, Arabella, my oldest, is a little bit different than she was a year ago. Uh, that time, like Matilda's my youngest, I can still pick her up, but I can't pick Arabella up anymore. Well, I can try, you know, I need some bigger muscles. But, you know, those things. And then you think like, wow, where did, when did that happen? And, and I, loved, I loved that, but I hate it. It's what they call the bittersweetness, I think, of it. But that means that you do have to be intentional with your days you do have to do stuff you love. You have to hang out with people that, you know, empower you, you respect, you can help. And all of those things do matter, you know, and anyone listening to this, you know, if you're in a position where those things aren't resonating or you're not in that place, firstly, you can change it. doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but you can do it and it's worth doing it, right? It's worth leaning into that to come back to where we started this conversation, really. Yeah. No, but no, no rich man on their deathbed ever said, I wish I'd added one more zero to my bank account before I before I croaked on this bed. You know, they they will all say and they all say, I wish I'd had more time with the people that I loved, you know, and, and wish I had more time working on the things that I really cared about. You know, so life's too short, you know, like and, and honestly, like if you're an, if you're an entrepreneur and you've got skills and especially if you've got collaborative abilities, there's so much you can do. Um, don't do something you don't like and don't do something that ultimately isn't the right thing for you and your family because you're just you're not going to bring good energy to it and you're not going to you're not going to work with people like me and Nick because we have fun. <laughs> well, listen, mate, I'm, I'm respectful of your time. I've got uh, one last, well, actually two last questions for you as we finish up today for the podcast. What's um, a project that you're working on right now that excites you the most that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, oh, I love that question. So, well, you know about one of my mastermind groups called the Family Mastermind. So that's one of the groups I'm most excited about right now. We've got, um, uh, I think, 85 uh, seven-figure and up businesses in that group that are real estate educators and investors, most of them. So most of these guys are house flippers that also add an educational component or, or started a software, a compatible software company or, or some kind of service that services uh, the, the world that they came from. So it's a really, really cool group of entrepreneurs. I love it because uh, it's where I get so many of my great ideas to start new companies, to start new products. It is my collaborative playground and it's the world I come from, both real estate and marketing. So I'm like, man, I love real estate, I love marketing and I love collaboration. Let's put this all together in one, one big, uh, one big happy, you know, happy pile here. And, and it has been a great, even more than a mastermind, it's been a great incubator, you know, for new opportunities. So super excited about that. And that's something that, uh, that doubled over the pandemic, which is amazing. Went from 40 businesses to 85 businesses and, um, now bringing in, you know, some other amazing members and just strengthening that group. So really excited about creating more collaborative opportunities. Is that an international uh, that thing or is it mainly U.S. based? That that is international. Although um, I don't, I don't. We don't actually have anybody international, but we would. It's it's basically it's really a marketing mastermind, and it's anybody that I think could let. So like a real estate investing educator in Australia could be a part of this group and and gain a ton from it because there'd be a lot of lead sharing and a lot of joint resources to share. So it kind of depends on the business model, but uh, definitely not. Uh, geographic uh you know no uh, right. we've got 130 know, countries listening to this podcast you see so that's why i wanted to get and where can people uh, can people obviously we'll um we'll get people to connect with you directly uh matt but is there anywhere people can look at that if they were interested if there's any we do have a, quite a few real estate people who listen to the show yeah absolutely well if you'd like to take a look uh, at one of our events coming up you can go to rei like real estate investing REI Family Reunion. So www.reifamilyreunion.com. And so you can see, uh, you know, just a video of kind of what we do and, and some of our events there and some of the people involved. So that's fun. But then you can always reach out to me too directly on, on Instagram, uh, 
Hey Matt Andrews is my handle, so find me there. I have been cloned lately, so if I don't have twenty thousand followers, don't don't say yes to a friend request <laughs> because apparently. Apparently, I'm, I'm being. Uh, they, oh, they you're, think big, I'm, you're big time now, Matt. If you've been cloned, they think I'm a bigger deal than I am. I'm being cloned. Uh, like you guys need to spend your time better. See, you're not going to make any money cloning me on Instagram. That's what happens but, when you do ten years of building a brand, my friend. That's what happens. Right. You, you, you get haters and you get people like stalking you and cloning. Uh, yeah, I tell you what. But I do look at those messages myself. So if you've got, you know, if you're in real estate or want to reach out about that or or charity stuff or any anything you see me doing, um, would love to to interact with you directly. I really do love starting conversations on social media that's a great connection point that we can then see if we, if we go to the nurturing phase after that but uh but hey matt andrews is that handle and would love to hear from any of you guys yeah absolutely awesome well we'll make sure um i'll make sure i put all of that stuff onto the show notes for this as well so people can reach out to you and of course the other place you can find us together quite often is on stages in clubhouse so that's right if you're loving yeah. this conversation and you want to kind of riff with us uh, you know, in that format, then uh, you I'm, can always, I'm always in the rooms you start, man. Yeah, absolutely. You and Mark are doing great things there. Awesome. Well, listen, um, excellent. Listen, as I said, I really appreciate your time, Matt. A long time coming, this conversation, uh, but it's been a heap of fun, you know, and I as you said, you're out. That's the main thing, isn't it? So, Matt, thank you so much for coming on Scale Up Your Business. Nick, thanks for having me, man. Anytime. And there you have it, another episode of Scale Up Your Business. Thank you very much for listening. And if you haven't yet, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help the show become even better. And while you're there, make sure you hit that subscribe button to help you on your scale up journey. Now, perhaps you're thinking of growing and scaling your business. Perhaps now is the time. If that's you, then please check out suyb.global. That's where we have all of our programs, including the Growth Accelerator Partnership, the Maximize Value Partnership, all of our services, and of course, coaching and mentoring. Once again, be grateful, be brave, have faith, and show up. Until next time.